Hello and welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. It is Tuesday the 18th of January, one day after Blue Monday. But like, what would your top tip on Blue Monday be? It's called Blue Monday because it's been ages since Christmas. We're all broke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad it's not just the Bounds household. <laughs> well, you're talking to a fellow. <laughs> yeah. Um so what would your top tip be uh, on Blue Monday? Man, that's a, that's a good one, which you hadn't prepared me for. Thanks for that one, Dave. I, okay, I'll give you time <laughs> to think. Um, mine would be get outside and don't yep. take your phone with you. Yeah. Um, well, the, the the experts say that, don't they? Getting some, even if it's very dim sun, get some uh, get some vitamin C, get some fresh air. Um, and it, the usual stuff, like just chat to somebody. comes yeah. back to something we talk about so often, having good friends in church people you trust you can just say i'm really struggling this week really even if it's not anxiety depression as such i'm really fed up really yeah. flat this week uh, because a lot of other people will be so talk to someone yeah yeah and take someone out for a retreat like if it, mm. if everyone's broken you you're, Dave. you're bound to you're bound to have a wee christmas voucher or something you can use <laughs> on someone um i actually have a free a free drink on my Costa app. So you offering? Uh, yeah, Costa after this. Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, okay, let's get started. Um, we took a break from One Thessalonians on Sunday. I actually saw some people bring their One Thessalonians journal. I know. I felt bad. I felt we <laughs> I, we say we. I could have flagged that better in advance that we're not doing Thessalonians this week. But I was so encouraged to see it. People yeah. bringing their journals on. Do that this Sunday. That's great. So it made me laugh as well. I have. A one Corinthians one, so I brought it along. I think people were looking at me like, "Look at that madman raining his one Thessalonians <laughs> book." But no, it was all a ruse. Yeah. Um, so, could you remind us why did we take a break? Like we literally started our series and then yeah. took a break. Were we fed up already? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Uh, it's just one of those topics. I think we need to revisit regularly because it's so important. And uh, we were well overdue to, to have some teaching on communion. I've always had the sort of rule of thumb, things like communion, baptism, um, worth doing once a year. And I don't think we've done anything on communion since before COVID. And I also, I think that having um, used Zoom on and off a lot the last couple of years, having split services has increased the risk of doing communion as a tick box. And I speak for myself there as well. And it must never be that. So it was was just on my heart to do it. And the start of the year seemed like a good time. First communion Sunday. To uh, to get that topic in, I'm. I know we probably all know what tick box means, but tick box is just like okay, done. We've we've done it. Yeah. We're covered. We're safe. We're a church. Yeah. yeah, fine. Um, you talk on Sunday, and I just think it's an interesting sort of thing to think about because often whenever we get to communion, we talk about okay, let's prepare our hearts for communion, which we usually do two minutes before mm. everything's dished out. Yeah, how can we prepare ourselves? before communion on a Sunday? Like, how can we actually come mm. to church, like coming in the zone? I, I think just, uh, first of all, just asking that question straight away. If somebody's up on a Sunday morning, and, and let's be honest, for a lot of people, it's, it's chaos on Sunday mornings, but yeah. just if you can get that 10 minutes by yourself, you and the Lord, and ask the question, how do I prepare myself for communion? Yeah. As soon as you've done that, you're, you're preparing your heart in a sense. So it helped me hugely that I, I was looking for something to read out at communion. So yeah. I've got my value of vision, Puritan prayers, and yeah. the, the prayer I read out. At the end of the service, I read that. That helped me hugely. But anything that reminds me before I leave for church, what communion is, 
what it reminds me about the gospel, just saying to myself, I, I'm heading to church to remember, to proclaim, to participate, to anticipate Very all nice. those headings, <laughs> seeing Jesus with my brothers and sisters. So just a few minutes doing that, I think, just starts to orientate our minds and hearts to what we're going there to do. Yeah. So there's even a wee text to someone. Could be quite mm. helpful in yep. the carnage of a Sunday morning. Say, <laughs> oh, I'm struggling to prepare my heart. Can you yeah. pray for me? Like, that's a good thing to do, isn't also, it? Also, I use the word quiet there, which might be unhelpful for some people because I remember when the kids were little thinking, I, you know, carnage. Yeah, I could get, I used to get up really early in the morning. I'm a pastor, so I got yeah. to on a Sunday. But apart from that, you just don't get any quiet before you get to church. Yeah. But I don't think it necessarily needs to be physical quiet. It's just you, maybe you're tidying up the breakfast dishes and, and just reminding yourself and talking to the Lord about what you're going to we're not going to church you, you are church to gather with the church you're going along to meet with fellow believers yeah so it doesn't need to be um absolute quiet in the bounds household for me to do that yeah it's the loiter and stuff isn't it of like talking yeah. to yourself preach, preach to yourself yeah yeah, yeah. Preach. why does they talk um sorry so why is it you, you talk about some different distinctions on Sunday. Why is it important to be clear that Jesus is not physically present in the Lord's Supper in the bread and the wine? Yeah. Or grape juice. Yeah, right. Um, the fruit, fruit of the vine. Yeah. We'll use, we'll use that phrase. Uh, nice. Two big reasons, I think. First of all, it's important to be clear that Jesus isn't physically present in the bread and the wine because that's just not the plain meaning of the scripture passage is concerned. Yeah. Simple. If, yeah. And, and we're, we're starting to read those passages out of context if we read them that way. So that that's, for example, where we would disagree with um, our Roman Catholic neighbor yeah. friend. Um, so that's the first reason. Second reason, it contradicts what scripture says about the person of Jesus Christ himself. So we remember this regularly, especially at Christmas time, that he's totally God and totally man. He's not half and half. He's not a strange mixture of human and divine. He's one glorious person with two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. And those natures are perfectly united, but they're not confused. They're not mixed. And I know this is all like mysterious. We don't completely understand it, but yeah. that, that kind of summarizes the Bible's teaching. So as God, he is everywhere present, but in his human nature, he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven this morning as we're doing this podcast. His, his body is not present everywhere. Now, there are some Christian traditions that disagree on that, but I think scripture is very clear on that. So his body is not physically present in communion. And if I misunderstand that, it affects then how I understand what the Bible says about Jesus himself. So we've had cause to say quite often in this podcast, misunderstanding one area of theology, one doctrine, often leads to misunderstanding of other doctrines. So that's the second big reason. Not only does it not what those passages are saying, but if we understand that wrong, it affects how we understand Jesus himself. And that's really important. Okay. We talk about... So Jesus is seated, humanly, right hand, but spiritually he's present with us by his spirit. Yeah. But we then talk about um, that he's spiritually present in the Lord's Supper. Mm. So w what's going on there? Because it's like, it's a lot of presence, but we're careful about yeah. how not to confuse that. It's honestly really hard to nail down. I don't know if it came across or not, but on Sunday when I was preaching, the, the bit I found hardest to articulate and... and Bible commentators and Christians and theologians over the years have all found it hard to articulate exactly what we mean by that. <clears throat> and there, there's some mystery here. We're not going to completely nail it down. Like some other clear truths about Jesus, it's impossible to comprehend. Mm. 
you know, we've thought before about how the everywhere present God, the everywhere present son of God can be present in different ways and different places for different purposes. And it's, it's around that idea that his presence is communicated in different ways. But at the very least, it means that there is a spiritual blessing and there's, there's a real communion with the Lord Jesus um, when we take communion. He's present there in a special way to bless us at communion and strengthen our faith. So we're not getting all magical and saying just by taking this bread and cup, something magically happens. No, no. as we take those things by faith, because Jesus has told us to do it, he is present with us in a special way. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm thinking of a an illustration. So this isn't really a question. It's more of a thought. But there's sure of a similarity or relationship isn't there between marriage and communion in some mm. ways. So we can't be more united to Christ or more married, but in communion, our relationship is deepened in the same way that yeah. in marriage our union can be deepened by physical things, by emotional things, by, you know, spend time together, whatever it may be. Is that helpful, unhelpful? I suppose there's always nuance or hmm. it, it's not the full picture. I, no, I, I think it does really help. I mean, any analogy is yeah. an analogy and it falls down at some point, doesn't it? The, the difference with that analogy is there's kind of a scriptural warrant for having it because in Ephesians, Christ's relationship with the church is linked to the husband's relationship with the wife. So there's, there's kind of a link there. Yeah. Um, but I think it is a helpful analogy. I, I'm not, you know, as I spend time with Kath and get to know her and love her and spend time and spend uh, more meaningful time with her, I'm not more married to her than yeah. I was on that first day, but my relationship is helped and deepened by those things. And I'm affirmed in that relationship and I'm assured in it. So when I have fellowship with her to put it in, more theological terms, my union with Kath is affirmed and my communion with her is deepened. And that's the analogy with, with communion and I walk with the Lord, I suppose. By taking communion by faith, my union with Christ isn't created. Uh, that That is something that God has done through through faith in my heart, that union with Christ. But my union with Christ is affirmed and it is strengthened. Um, so one way of putting it is that the Lord's Supper is one of the things God gives his church to to affirm their union and deepen their communion. There's, okay. a, there's a slight difference in union and communion. Union with Christ is a, is a fact, a reality. Yeah. My communion with Christ can vary and wobble from day to day because of my sinfulness, but my union is affirmed and my communion with Jesus is deepened when I take communion. But yeah, we've got to add the PS that any analogy is imperfect and there's there's an element of, of mystery to all this, the presence of Jesus in communion. Yeah, and union creates the communion with god rather than communion creating yeah. the union yeah. so it's because we're united to jesus we then have this relationship rather than we work really hard and do things in order to create a union okay. yeah I see. absolutely um you d you did sort of casually drop it in there and i suppose the way the niv words it it's, it's not clear straight away but you sort of casually dropped in that people died because they were eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Um, that seems slightly mental to a lot of us, I'm sure. But does this still apply today? Why, like, why do people literally? Do we just have a small view of God? Why? Hmm. Why was this the case? I'm laughing because I can honestly say I know what you mean. I didn't feel casual about it, but you're right. It was kind of a passing reference. It's like, oh, they're dead. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, spiritual union. So I suppose it's good that you asked the question. Uh, the short answer is. 
that I don't think we need to be overly frightened of this happening if our consciences are tender and if we're aware of our sin. Okay. On the other hand, we also shouldn't write this off because we can do that with stuff in the, the New Testament, sometimes like Ananias and Sapphira um, yeah. dying because they've lied to God, they've lied to the Holy Spirit. And we say, ah, well, yeah, that doesn't happen today. Well, hang on, let's think about this. Uh, could it happen today? So we shouldn't write it off completely. But if, we, if we're concerned about it, our consciences are tender, we shouldn't be overly worried. Um, I guess to slightly expand, as always, context is key, right? As yeah. you're often reminding us, Dave, yeah. um, there was a lot of serious, deeply rooted, public, blatant sin in the Corinthian church. There was disunity that contradicted the gospel. There was idolatry and sexual immorality that contradicted the gospel. So Paul is seeing them living in many ways like pagans. And then at the same time, they're taking the bread and the cup, which are meant to be an enacted proclamation of the gospel. And they're blatantly denying it by their lives. So a Christian who comes to the table aware of their sin, but repentant of it, but does not need to fear this. That's the bottom line. Yeah. But it would be unwise to simply say, God doesn't do this anymore, whilst consistently denying the gospel with our lives and continually taking communion anyway. Yeah. You know, the, the word is, it, it's there in Corinthians for a reason for the church today. And one reason I think is for us to consider the importance of communion um, the Lord's Supper in church discipline sometimes. Yeah. So on the one hand, we don't have to say, we can't say sinful Christians don't come to the table or, or none of us would ever come. Yeah. On the other hand, if someone who calls themselves a Christian is persistently and obvious in sin, and if I love them, I'm going to say to them, look, Jesus offers you forgiveness when you repent of this, but until you do, you really shouldn't be taking the Lord's Supper. And I'm telling you that because I love you. Uh, from time to time, that might even become a public thing. You look at Matthew 18, yeah. when there's uh, your brother has sinned against you, take it to them, and eventually it can end up going to the church. But of course, the hope is that the very presence of passages like this makes us think, and the Holy Spirit uses it to keep us from ever getting to the situation where we're abusing the Lord's Supper like this. Yeah, I think when Amy asked me about this on Sunday, I said, I mentioned the context here and said, People were essentially going to a brothel, going to an orgy, mm. going to do all sorts of things and then swaggering into the church yeah. um, and taking communion and being like, isn't this great? Mm. Like, I'm just getting to mm. live my life and then little this little spiritual boost. Yeah. And saying like that is, you know, if we saw someone do that mm. in our church, like they've yeah. just walked in from a brothel mm. and we're like, this is fine. We would be, we'd not be. Yeah. Well, that's a really good example directly from Corinthians. Of course, what we can we can dodge it sometimes by saying, "Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not going to a brothel. I'm yeah. not." Doing... But the fact is, private sin doesn't make it any better. If someone's you yeah. know, um, if someone's looking at porn ten minutes before they come to church, and yeah. that's something they're doing all the time, and that they're not repentant of it, they're not fighting that that area of sin, and then they just slapdash taking the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that, that's a dangerous place to be spiritually. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That was nice and heavy. <laughs> um, here's a listener question. Um, we gave Vicky Bishop a shout-out last last week, and she followed up with a question. So nice maybe we should shout-out more people yeah. and see one of their nice, listening. Vicky, well done. Keep them coming. <laughs> we'll just say random names and see one of their listening, <laughs> two if they have a, a great question. Yeah. Um, so why is our normal way, quote-unquote, of doing communion better than the little plastic cup thingies? <laughs> other than being better for the environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
very appropriate question as we come out of this long COVID season, really, isn't it? Because for a long time, it feels like a really long time, we've been using these fellowship cup they're called oh really the, the little sealed pods with the, the the wafer of bread and the the wine um well firstly i need to say that i don't think there's anything wrong in us using those fellowship cup sets yeah. my taste buds think it's really wrong because i think it tastes pretty horrible yeah. and it's just not the same as having a proper piece of bread in your hand but yeah. i but i don't think it's wrong at all For, in the same way we didn't feel as elders it was wrong to take communion together when we were all on zoom because we weren't physically together. Some churches didn't do that. Yeah. They, they didn't feel it was right. We felt it was appropriate and right to do it. But I think it's fair to say that both those things, using the fellowship cap, taking communion on Zoom, are they're suboptimal, if I can use that phrase, in the sense that they aren't the fullness of the New Testament experience of the Lord's Supper, where we share one loaf of bread that's been broken up, mm-hmm. and we take the bread and the fruit of the vine, whether it's wine or grape juice, um. And we do it together. And I mean together in the full incarnated sense of the word koinonia in the New Testament. So I'd anticipate that as COVID fades off, we'd stop using the fellowship pods pretty quickly. I'd like to think the box we've got of them now, once they're, once they're used up, they're they won't be there anymore. But in God's mercy, those fellowship cups and Zoom and various other things we've had to do, they've served a great purpose during a strange and disruptive time that's but it has also kept us back from the, the full experience of our fellowship together. It's, it's time to start being together again, together, together, having communion again in the fullest sense of those words. So good question. Nothing wrong with it, but it's it's not as close to the, the New Testament ideal as we would have liked. And I praise God we're getting back to that more now. Yeah. I wonder, it's reason whenever we think back to what communion was like for the early church, you know, rich and poor, Jew, Gentile, slave free, all eating the same bread, same drinking the same cup was a very powerful image that, you know, the rich is the rich person's sharing with a real like a, a dirty slave or someone they may not mm. necessarily associate with. Yeah. Which, you know, at that time the poor person may mm. be, you know, disease ridden and they're saying, Yep, yeah. We're yeah. we're brother and sister. And I, like I mean, mm. maybe I'm reading too much into it. But the fact that we all took or well, we had the opportunity to take from the same bread. You're yeah. saying, Do you know what? If someone in this room has COVID, I don't care because they're my brother <laughs> and sister yeah. and I identify with them. So I don't know. No, I think that's right. So so I think during COVID, out of love for brother and love of society and and you know, love of neighbour and submission to the authorities. It's been right to do many of the things we've done. Yeah, of course. But to take take it to a, a bit of a logical extreme, if we were to say once COVID is, is died down, become endemic, not as much of a threat and an issue, which God willing is happening very soon. Yeah. Now, you know, once we get there, you could say, well, let's end up let's carry on using the fellowship cups because actually they're just more hygienic generally, which is true. Yeah. But would that be a biblical thing to do? Dave's shaking his head very vigorously. No, I, it wouldn't do because there's that there's that messiness and slight risk of togetherness. Yeah. That of physical togetherness, which is biblical at the core of the New Testament church. Like I said on Sunday, the, the Greek word ecclesia for the church it means the gathering is coming together. And I, uh, I, I often think of the Apostle Paul, what would he have made of Zoom services? I think he would have been saying, in those circumstances, it's good you're doing that and that is the right thing. But whatever you do, whatever you do, don't stick with that as the norm because yeah. you're not together in the fullest sense of that word. Yeah. So you've got to draw the line somewhere, and I think we're we're coming to that point soon, aren't we? Yeah, fine. That wasn't me on my soapbox saying that. 
I hate the way things, but it was just oh, yeah. it was more amusing. <laughs> yeah. Um so you mentioned on Sunday about you know, there's damage done I'm very sure it touched on it. There's damage done by someone eating it whilst being unrepentant. Yeah. What is the damage done when someone who is repentant doesn't eat yeah. the the meal? It's an important point, isn't it? There's damage at either end. Either end of the spectrum. So eat, so eating while unrepentant, we, yeah, like you said, we've covered it. Even in the absence of what we talked about from 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, you know, people were dying because they were abusing the Lord's Supper. Even when that's not happening, there's a risk of hardening us. Yeah. And it also runs the risk, if my sin is public, of devaluing the supper and damaging the conscience of others. So if I've been sinfully and obviously angry with someone, so I've lost my temper with you for the umpteenth time, Dave. Shock. This is hypothetical. <laughs> um, lost my temper with you for the umpteenth time. And then you see me taking communion on Sunday. That That's that's going to have an effect on you too. So those are the dangers of taking whilst unrepentant. The damage done when someone who is repentant doesn't take communion is that they're missing out on the joy of obedience to Jesus' command to do this. And and if I do that, I miss out on this awesome means of grace through which Jesus builds me up and, and spiritually nourishes my faith. So there, there is damage done when um, maybe someone's conscience is so sensitive yeah. that they, they misunderstand what's going on here and they think I shouldn't take at all because I'm conscious of my sin. We should all be conscious of our sin. The question is, are we repentant of it? Um, and do we do we see the wonderful blessings of the Lord's table? Um, we often talk about communion being a feast on Sunday, so this is the feast of all feasts. Hmm. Um, <laughs> see but, where this um, question's going. <laughs> is it really? Like, it's a wee scrap, and on Sunday it was gluten-free bread. Sorry if you're gluten-free, but a wee scrap, Jenny Adams's gluten-free. It's a wee scrap of bread and a wee drop of grape juice. Is yeah. this really a feast? <laughs> I can see why you asked the question. Physically, uh, it certainly isn't. Um, though interestingly, the, the early church, most scholars think, did did communion generally as part of a, a wider church family meal, sort of a love Ooh. feast. Um, so, though the way we do it in most churches, most Sundays, yeah, it, it physically isn't a feast, but the point is spiritually it is. Yeah, G, you know, if Jesus Himself is there as host to bless me and to build me up in my faith as I remember and have communion with Him, then I, I don't know a better definition for for a feast for my soul. Yeah, though. Okay. Yeah, admittedly, it's not physically. Yeah, you almost then imagine the servers like it's not the server giving you the bread or the wine; it's. Mm. If you can picture, if you're allowed to picture, it's Jesus himself who's given you the yeah. bread and the wine. Um, yeah, good thing to picture. Last last one um, is a practicality. Why do we take communion monthly mm. rather than weekly or yearly? <laughs> yearly seems ages. The short, short honest answer is it's our tradition. Um, yep. And tradition isn't necessarily a bad thing, though it can be if it hardens into a, like, a rule that we've got to follow. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can prove a particular regularity is right or wrong from Scripture, only that it should be taken with some regularity, you know, which is whenever you do this. So it's meant to be a regular thing in some sense. Personally, I'd really struggle with yearly. That, that just doesn't feel like mental. Whenever you do this, it doesn't feel like yearly to me, but that's debatable. Um, often the thinking in churches that take monthly like ours is that it's regular enough to nourish our souls and keep the cross front and center but it's not so frequent that familiarity can breed contempt. Um, 
Though I have to admit, if you, if you held a gun to my head, again, I'm talking metaphorically here, Dave, <laughs> and told me that we had to change the frequency of our communion, I, I think I'd lean personally towards more frequent communion, not less frequently, because I know there's an argument here, if you do it every week, familiarity breeds contempt, but hopefully we don't think the same way as the preaching of the word or the, the hymns that we sing, or you know, we shouldn't do them weekly because familiarity breeds contempt. Um, so I'm, I'm not convinced about the argument when it comes to the Lord's Supper. So I, I'm personally happy once a month. I wouldn't want to do it less often, but basically whatever our practice is, it should help us to reverence the supper whilst maintaining our anticipation and doing it often enough to spiritually strengthen ourselves. <laughs> so when listen to this, we like, I think we should have preaching once a month. Yeah, that argument's not going to work. <laughs> no, that is funny. But it's interesting, isn't it? Every church, however much you like to think, we're not really like liturgical. We're not really traditional. Every church has got its traditions. That's one of ours. Yeah, doesn't have to be bad because it's traditional. But it's always worth asking yourself biblically: Why do we do this? Is this okay? Is this good? Uh, I, I think monthly's fine personally, but it'd be interesting to know what people think. Yeah, solid. That's us. We've reached the end. Yeah. Um, Done and dusted for another week. Yeah, we are on Sunday. We're in 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, so you can bring your 1 Thessalonians scripture journals. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> yes, that would be very good. <laughs> nice. See you then. Bye.